Hi everyone, so uh, for me today is Thursday, June 2nd, um, election day here in Ontario. Recording this talk, of course, for our June 5th uh, Sunday uh, online, uh, SCF online worship gathering. And uh, so earlier this week, had the opportunity along with my wife and some of the other staff people here at Sobel to be able to go to a denominational event. And so after our Sunday in-person gathering this past Sunday, we jumped in the car and headed for Alliston. And uh, there we met up with, uh, oh, at least a hundred, probably more than a hundred of our ministry colleagues, pastors, uh, spouses, ministry leaders in our Be In Christ denomination. And we had uh, supper together on Sunday night and then had meetings Sunday evening and uh, meetings uh, Monday and Monday evening and then into Tuesday as well. And it was just such a delight. It was so great to be together. We hadn't been face to face for uh, a couple of years during COVID. And so it was a beautiful thing to catch up with some old friends and to meet some new friends as well. I was chatting with one pastor uh, who I'd not met before this past weekend. And uh, as he and I were chatting together, we, uh, for some reason, we just started chatting about kind of mistakes, uh, blunders that we've each made in ministry, some kind of laughable, some not so much. And I made the statement to him, wouldn't it be great to have a job where you're always right? And uh, I gave an illustration of what I thought that might be, namely a weather forecaster, like a meteorologist, the, the, the guy or the lady on TV who says, and today there's a 30% chance of rain. Well, they're never wrong. They're always right, uh, I thought. Uh, that even if it doesn't rain, well, conversely, they're saying there's a 70% chance that it won't rain. And so they're always right, never wrong. Well, it turns out this fellow to whom I was uh, speaking has a meteorologist in the family. And uh, so he uh, laughingly explained to me why I was wrong about being right. <laughs> that... Um, so he explained to me about something called the POP, or probability of precipitation. That when that weather forecaster comes on TV and says there's a 30% chance of rain, that's the POP, the, the, um, the probability of precipitation. But that number is itself a, uh, the product of a mathematical uh, equation. So he tells me that a weather forecaster will, um, will predict the likelihood of rain in a 24-hour period in a particular uh, forecast region. And so maybe, for instance, they'll say there's an 80% likelihood of rain today in 40% of the forecast region. And so what the weather for, uh, forecaster, the meteorologist would do, would be to take those two numbers, the 80% likelihood and the 40% uh, regional coverage, and multiply those numbers together. So we would just take eight and four, multiply, you get 32, round it down to 30, and there you get the POP, the 30% um, probability of precipitation. And so I learned something. I thought I was uh, right even when I was wrong. So I'm going to be very careful uh, right now. 
And I'm going to make a probability uh, for you. And it is this. It is 100% certain that you are loved by God. It is 100% certain, no question, that you are loved by God. And I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know how you're feeling. I don't know what your circumstances are. But I want you to know today, it is 100% certain, no question about it, that you are loved by God. And we want to talk about God's love today. We're in this series called Untakeable. We're getting deep into this series now. This is part seven of eight. And what we've been doing in this series is we've been looking at uh, things, at truths, uh, things that we possess in Jesus that are unshakable, unbreakable, untakeable, steadying and anchoring truths that can hold us firm and steady. Even when things around us are changing, even when things around us are uncertain, these truths that we possess in Jesus will hold us firm and propel us forward in a Jesus way of living. And so over the last few weeks, we've talked about the forgiveness of God, the fact that God in Christ has forgiven us past, present, and future. Total forgiveness totally cleansed, perfectly cleansed, perfectly forgiven, made perfectly new. Jesus Christ comes into our life, cleans house, moves in, gives us a new heart that's compatible with him, Christ in us, untakeable forgiveness. And then we talked about the grace of God, the fact that God in Christ accepts you. Moment one of day one of you saying yes to Jesus, You're completely accepted by God in Christ, apart from any performance-based religion. Accepted, moment one of day one, without ever lifting a finger. That's grace. That's the undeserved favor of God. Grace, untakeable grace. The last couple of weeks, we've talked about our identity in Jesus, the fact that God in Christ has raised us up. We're seated with Christ in heavenly places at the right hand of God. Our lives are hidden with Christ in God. That's our spiritual location. I'm chosen of God, holy and dearly loved. I'm new, a new creation in Christ, an adopted son of God. Untakeable identity. And so today we want to talk about the love of God as an unbreakable, unshakable, untakeable, steadying, anchoring truth that can hold us firm and propel us forward in a Jesus way of living. And so today we're going to just kind of lay some foundation. We're going to look at a few verses today about the love of God. And uh, we're actually going to close this talk by celebrating communion together. So hopefully you've got some uh, some juice or, um, and, and some bread or a cracker or something like that for communion. And then next week, we're going to make four points about the love of God. And uh, after next Sunday's talk, this series will uh, be over and we'll finish this untakeable series. And so today, just before we look into the word, would you just pause with me uh, and let's pray. Let's ask God's help for uh, this time together.
Our Father, by your word and by your spirit, would you show us clearly today the truth about your love, that your love is good, that your love is trustworthy, that your love is never failing and never ending. Would you help us to have ears that are open to hear what you're saying? Would you have us help us have minds that are open and hands that are open and ready to receive your truth today? And uh, far more than just information, what we long for today is transformation that you by your spirit through your word would help us to become more like Jesus in our attitudes and actions. And we pray these things in his name, amen. There is no question that God loves you. It's not just like an 80% probability that God loves 40% of you. No, it's 100% certain God loves you. So let's look at some scriptures and we'll start here with Romans chapter five and verse eight which says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I sometimes speak with um, Christian people who are frustrated, um, maybe discouraged, in some cases disillusioned, maybe even disillusioned to the point where they're contemplating kind of deconstructing their faith. And one of the reasons is because they want to, they want to feel God's love. They want to be able to look at the circumstances of their lives and clearly see God's love spelled out. They want to be able to look at the circumstances of their lives and, and kind of be able to connect the dots to see the love of God. And they want to be able to look around them at the external circumstances and be able to see God's love clearly spelled out to be able to connect those dots. They want to be able to look at their own circumstances and, and uh, look at how things are going in their job and in their family and in their marriage and with their health and with their friends and clearly see the love of God and be able to connect those dots and then to look at the outward circumstances and see the love of God. But it can, it can be a very destabilizing pursuit. You think of it. You look at the external circumstances and what do we see? Well, there's fire over there, there's flood over there, there's famine over there. I woke up this morning, as, as uh, did you, uh, today, uh, the news of another mass shooting, this time in a hospital in Tulsa. You know, last week it was a, a school shooting in Texas. Two weeks before that was a mass shooting at a grocery store in uh, Buffalo. Uh, you know, so we, we look at those events and those circumstances and, and uh, there's war in Ukraine and there's social unrest and racial injustice. How do we see the love of God in those things? How do we connect the dots? How, do we, how is God's love spelled out in those circumstances? Well, here's Paul's advice for you and for me. If you are trying to look to your own circumstances and to the external circumstances around you and see God's love spelled out uh, to be able to connect the dots, Paul's advice to you is this, stop it. Don't do that. Don't fall into that trap. Life on planet Earth 
will not spell love to you. In fact, life on planet Earth hurts. I don't want to sound pessimistic or negative today, but life on planet Earth hurts. Uh, several uh, months ago, I guess, maybe even almost a year ago, we looked at a verse of scripture in Romans chapter 8 and verse 20. I don't have a slide of it, but um, Paul in Romans 8:20 says that the creation has been subjected to, and I think the NIV uses the word frustration. The creation has been subjected to frustration. And that word frustration is a translation of the Greek word matiotes, which means frustration, uh, decay, disintegration, depravity. And Paul's saying the creation doesn't work the way that, that God intended it to work. It's been subjected to matiotes, to disintegration, depravity, decay. And that happened in the Genesis story. We think of Genesis chapter three, and when Adam and Eve, when they abdicated their responsibility to rule and reign over the earth, well, they invited in principalities and powers, and this creation is now their playground. And it's subject to matiotes, to decay, disintegration. It doesn't work the way that God intended it to work. And now this creation is such that it spits out fire and famine and flood and violence and, and uh, cancer and coronavirus and, and, and things like that. And so what Paul, um, what Paul tells us is, is this, if you... If you want to see the love of God, look to the cross. You want to see the love of God, look at the cross. Look at the cross-shaped love of God. I love that one quote, I can't remember who it was, uh, that came across the screen just before the service, talking about uh, God's love is not diamond-shaped, it's cross-shaped. We call that a cruciform love. It's the enemy love of God displayed at the cross. And as we look there, that's what shows us, Paul says, that's what shows us how big and how great and how awesome is the love of God that he has lavished on us. So look to the cross. Look to the resurrection of Jesus. Look to Christ in you. Look to the powerful presence of, of the Lord in your life as an indication of his love. You know, as I was, as I was thinking about um, ways in which God demonstrates his love. I, I thought of this book, and uh, this book has been around quite a while, probably uh, 30 years or so, maybe a little bit less. It's called, if you can see it, it's called The Five Love Languages, uh, written by Gary Chapman. And uh, this book is, um, I suppose by now it's a classic, but it is still really fresh and current. In fact, I would, I would recommend it to you if you are married, or if you are dating someone, or maybe you're uh, engaged to be married, or you've got a significant other of, of some sort, this is an excellent book to read. And it is so helpful when you understand the love language of your spouse or your partner. And it's a, a particularly wonderful thing when they understand your uh, love language. So uh, Chapman's Five Love Languages, and here's the... Um, Here's the five love languages that Chapman identifies. Words of affirmation, receiving gifts, acts of service, physical touch, 
and quality time spent. Like here's an example. So if you're a, if you're a husband and you're trying to communicate love to your wife through acts of service, um, but if, if her love language, the way that she uh, receives love and understands love and processes love is through words of affirmation, then she's not gonna get your message. All she's gonna hear is an annoying banging hammer, hammer and, a, and a really noisy saw, right? She's not gonna get it. You're speaking a different language. Uh, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know if you ever watched Charlie Brown and uh, when he's in school and the teacher is talking, all he hears is wah, 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 right? That's what your spouse will hear if you're not speaking their love language. And you know, as I was thinking about these uh, five different love languages, um, it kind of occurred to me that God has, God's utilized all five of these really to express his love. Think of words of affirmation. We've, of course, have the scripture, right? And God says things to us in the scripture that are so affirming, things like, I've got your name engraved in the palm of my hand. Think of Jesus who said, come to me. I'm gonna give you rest. Come to me, let's spend time together. Or uh, Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If you just open the door, I would love to come in and spend time with you and enjoy a nice long meal together. Such beautiful words of affirmation in the scripture. And then receiving gifts. You know, God has expresses his love through gift giving. And of course, think of John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he what? Gave a gift. The gift of his son, his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Think of the words of Jesus that are recorded by Luke in Acts chapter one. Uh, after the resurrection and before his ascension, Jesus says to his disciples, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the what gift my father has for you, namely the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Acts of Service, think of Jesus who said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, Jesus taught us that in his kingdom, the way up is down. The way to become great is to become the least. The way to become most notable in the economy of the kingdom of Jesus is to learn to serve everyone. Think of that occasion where the disciples of Jesus were arguing amongst themselves, which of them was really the greatest and most important. And remember what Jesus did? He just very quietly went and retrieved a basin and filled it full of water, dropped his robe, tied a towel around his waist, got on hands and knees and began to wash the feet of the disciple. Such an act of service, an act of humble love. Physical touch. You know, you read 1 John, um, and 1 John chapter 1 begins with John describing Jesus as one that they saw with their eyes, they heard with their ears, and their hands touched. Jesus was the God who could be touched. And not only was Jesus touched by others, but he touched. Um, sometimes touching the untouchable. You know, Jesus often, uh, you, you track through the gospels with him and he would touch people in the act of healing. He would touch those who nobody touched, uh, beggars, um, 
lepers, the demonized, the prostitute. You know, Jesus loved through acts of physical touch. But the one that kind of most resonates with me in terms of how God expresses and demonstrates his love to us is this thing of quality time spent. God has chosen to spend time with us, both now and into eternity. It's incredible. A permanent presence, a, a bond, a, a fusion with your life and his. Paul uh, said it this way, that, that uh, you know, we are one spirit together with him, united together with Christ. You know, when, when, uh, when kids are little, the thing that they want most as an expression of love from mom or dad is time spent. I think of my kids when they were little, you know, I could say, I could tell them I love them. I could say nice things to them in passing. I could, I could say nice things to them when we're traveling somewhere in the, the car. But what little kids want, including my kids when they were little, more than gifts, more than money, more than things, they want time spent from mom and dad as an expression of love. And nothing demonstrates that love more than time spent. And God has done something uh, permanent and powerful to spell out his love to us. It's his presence with us no matter what. Jesus says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. That's love. That's some, uh, that's some pretty serious love. Well, let's look at another verse of scripture. This one is uh, Revelation chapter one and verse five. And it says, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Man, it's a powerful thing to be freed, to be released. Maybe you've experienced that. Uh, maybe you've been freed or released from a debt, say like a financial debt. Maybe uh, you graduated from college or university and you had some student debt and uh, you worked hard to get that paid off and finally you got it paid off and how freeing and liberating that felt to, to be released from that debt. Or maybe you had a car loan and you finally got that paid off and there was such relief. Or maybe you had a credit card debt and credit card debt, man, it just weighs on our shoulders. It's like a, uh, it, it hangs around your neck like a curling rock. It, it's a, oppressive and heavy. And, and maybe you got that debt all paid off and you got released from that debt. And there was such freedom and relief in that. Or maybe you, maybe you can remember the day that you paid off the mortgage. You made that last payment. Maybe it's a day you'll never forget. Well, God has done something for us in his love. He has released us from the debt that we owed him, a debt that we could never pay anyway, even if we tried, but he has released us from our sins. God demonstrated his love in this, in this total freeing, this total release of our sin debt once and for all. By the way, one of the most powerful things that you could ever do for another person is to forgive them to release them, to free them from that debt. Well, let's look at another verse. This is 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. 
See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. So this is another way in which God has demonstrated his incredible love for us by calling us his children, his kids. And the Apostle John here, um, he is so, you can just see that he is so enthused. There's two exclamation marks uh, in this verse. And John says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And, and, and John, it, John is just so enthused and so blown away by a God who would call John his son that he's overwhelmed. He's got to take a moment. He's got to take a breath. He's got to get a drink of water. And then he says, and that is what we are. That's what we are. We're children, not slaves. We're sons and daughters. Not servants, sons and daughters. And as we recognize that, uh, that connection, that relatedness, that lineage, that heritage, as we think about that and recognize that, we see even more of, man, this incredible love of God. Oh, another verse. This is Romans chapter 5 and verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So God is not simply um, up in heaven loving you long distance, all right? Have you ever had a long distance relationship? Maybe uh, when you were dating, uh, you had a long distance uh, relationship. Or maybe, uh, maybe your spouse had to uh, be away for several days or maybe a few weeks or even a few months. And that was really hard. You got through it, but really, really difficult. Um, I feel like today, long distance relationships are probably easier than they were uh, in times past. I don't know that by personal experience, but that's my guess, thanks to things like technology with um, uh, FaceTime and Zoom and... Uh, um, texting and uh, email and things like that, easier to maintain a long distance relationship than maybe back in the days when the only option you had was to write letters, right? There's people today who've literally never written a letter in their life thanks to technology, but that's a tough way to maintain a long distance relationship. Or maybe you had a, like a dating relationship back in the 80s, right? Before uh, all of this um, technology that is so readily available today. Um, but maybe you kind of maintained your relationship by phone, right? Remember back in the 80s when long distance calls were so incredibly expensive and you had to wait till like 11 o'clock at night for the rates to drop down? And so you'd make all these calls so late at night and early into the morning just to, so that you didn't go broke with long distance phone calls. Or maybe Ever make a, a long distance call to your significant other uh, from a pay phone and you just had to keep feeding change into the phone so that you didn't get uh, cut off? Well, the relationship that you have with God is not long distance. It's a local call. In fact, it is so local 
It couldn't possibly be more local because Christ is in you and you are in Christ. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's a local call. We're not merely firing up prayers and, and hoping they don't bounce off the ceiling and somehow hoping they get through the pearly gates and into the throne room of God. No, no. It's a local call. Us in him and him in us. Notice, uh, notice one more thing about this verse. It says that the love of God has been poured out where? Into our hearts. That's, that's interesting. You know, we spent some time in the last couple of weeks talking about our new hearts and asking the question, are our new hearts reliable? Are they, are they new? Am I a new creation in Christ or is this heart kind of old and new? Am I alive to sin and alive to God? Is this new heart trustworthy? Am I just a sinner saved by grace or am I really a new creation in Christ? Well, notice the the love of God has been poured out into our hearts. Friends, God does not live in dirty places, all right? He's cleaned house, he's moved in, he's poured into you his love into your new heart. I like the way the King James renders this verse, talks about the, the love of God has been shed abroad in your heart. Some of you are probably old enough to remember the origins of the pop shop and... Um, you might remember a former Toronto Maple Leaf named Eddie Shack, who was their pitch man. And with his kind of nasally voice, he would say, and I've got a nose for value. Uh, you remember those ads on TV. Well, the pop shop began uh, was one guy's uh, kind of brainchild, a guy from London, Ontario. And he had this idea, and this is like 1968, 69 perhaps, has this idea for a retail location, like a brick and mortar retail location where people could go to buy exclusively pop. And if you're joining us from south of the border, we're talking about soda, but up here it's pop. Uh, it's much more fun to say. And so this is the pop shop. And uh, so the pop shop was a brick and mortar retail location where you could go to buy pop. And uh, you'd go into the store, and you would get a, um, a, a red plastic case, kind of like a milk crate sort of thing, but shaped differently for, um, for the pop shop. And into that case, you would put 24 uh, stubby bottles or 12 tall bottles. And, uh, you know, they had all the usual flavors that we've, we've all come to expect, um, you know, cola, um, ginger ale, uh, orange, grape, cream soda, that kind of thing. But they also had some really unusual flavors like um, grapefruit, pineapple, uh, lime ricky. I think they ended up with like 30 uh, flavors or so. But you'd go in and you would uh, fill the case up and you could mix and match and get all the different flavors that you wanted. And uh, you could get 24 stubbies or 12 tall bottles and it would cost you about four bucks. And then what you would do, you'd take that case with all these bottles of pop home, you would enjoy those beverages, and then when they're all empty, you'd put them back in the red case and you'd take them back to the pop shop, and guess what they would do? They would buy those empty bottles back. They would redeem them. Redemption, it's a very biblical term. And, uh, you know, here's, here's one uh, flyer I came across. I'm sure you can't see that from where you are, but this was like the grand opening of one of these locations at a place just outside of 
Vancouver. If you read the fine print on this, one of the ways they entice you into their location was uh, with a free car litter bag. Like, how could you say no to a free car litter bag, right? But what you'd do is you would, you would, uh, you, you'd, you'd fill up your case, you'd drink the pop, you'd pay, you'd pay your four bucks to get it, but then when you redeem them, when they buy those bottles back, they give you two bucks back. And here's a, here's a picture of a lady. Uh, you can see the cases and the bottles um, there. And it's interesting, when they, when they redeemed those bottles, when they paid you that two bucks and took those bottles back, guess what they did with them? They cleansed them, they sanitized them, and then they filled them and sealed them again. And you know, it's a lot like salvation. It's a purifying, a cleansing, a filling, and a sealing with God's Holy Spirit. That's really what we see in that Romans 5, 5 verse. We get kind of a little window into what salvation is. The, the love of God poured out just like, just like uh, into newly cleaned pop shop bottles poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit uh, given to us. Well, let's uh, look at another verse. This is Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 35. And Paul says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors, more than conquerors, super conquerors through him who loved us. Well, what does that tell you about the love of God? He says, I'll never let you go. Friend, no matter what you're going through today, no matter what you're experiencing, no matter what you're facing, no matter how difficult the circumstances might be in your life and around you, God will never let you go. Paul goes on to say in, the, in verse 38, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, I've had people in my life who've loved me, friends who have loved me and do love me, family who love me, children who love me. I've got a wife who loves me like crazy. And as awesome as all that is, there's nothing like, there's nothing like the love of God. There is nothing on earth like the love of God. This absolutely rock solid, rock steady, anchoring, steadying love. Not just for this life, but for the life to come. And you know, there are Christians who are nervous about judgment day and God says nothing will separate you. There are Christians who are worried about their sin struggles, worried about their thoughts with which they're struggling and God says nothing will separate you. There are Christians who are worried that the grace of God might run out on them, that God will finally get tired and sick of them and say enough. God says nothing will separate you. I think that we need to get more and more and more familiar with this message of God's love. There's nothing else like it on earth. This no strings attached, unconditional love 
of God. God say, I'll love you no matter what. Now we've asked the question a few times in this series now, is this message a, a risky message to share? We talked about that with the forgiveness of God. Is it risky to tell people that they're forgiven by God in Christ, past, present, and future? Is that risky? Are they just gonna sin more? We ask that same question about the grace of God. Is it risky to tell people that they're fully accepted by God in Christ, moment one of day one, apart from any performance-based religion? Is that, is that a risky message to share? You know, we'll ask that question again today. Is this message of God's unconditional, no strings attached love, is that a risky message? Can we tell people that message too much? Uh, will people get too comfortable? too peaceful? Uh, do we need to balance that message with something? Do we need to temper it with something bad to keep people on their toes? Well, the answer is no. It is a risky message, but not for us. It is for the enemy. See, the message of God's love, the power of his love, that's the center of the center. That's the very core reality that will propel us to live a Jesus-centered life and to walk in a Jesus-centered way. This love is the inspiration. It's the motivation for every move that we make in Jesus. Well, we're gonna leave um, this here for now and we're gonna pick it back up next week. And next week, we're gonna make four points about the love of God. And let me just show you uh, a little preview of what those points are. God's love propels godly living. God's love propels unity. God's love propels confidence. And, and God's love propels our love for other people. So we're gonna drill down on those four points uh, next week. And then when we're done next week, uh, that will be the end of our Untakeable series. Well, what I'd like to do right now is, is um, just transition into a time of communion. Communion, common union. This is where we as family together, as brothers and sisters in Christ, come together expressing our common union in Jesus Christ. And so hopefully you've got some uh, elements handy, some uh, juice, some uh, wine, some water, uh, cracker, uh, bread. It doesn't so matter uh, much matter what the symbols are, but what they symbolize is really the important thing. They, they point to Jesus, specifically to his broken body and to the, to the blood that he shed for us on the cross. So communion is this, you know, it's, it's a unique Christian celebration. And Christians have been doing this for 2,000 years. And it's a beautiful way of just coming back to love, coming back to the center of the center, declaring Jesus as Lord and expressing thanks for his love, expressing our need of him, saying thank you for your broken body and your shed blood. One of the challenging things that I think we uniquely experience here in SCF Online is with communion. See, communion is not something that we take.
Communion is something we receive. And in SCF Online, when we're celebrating communion together in this space, we've got to be, we've got to be extra uh, vigilant to keep in mind that this is not something we take, it's something that we receive. It's so easy to lose track of that because you, you go to your kitchen and you take juice, you take a cracker and then you sit down and you take communion. But in fact, we receive communion. We can only receive it. We can't take it because Jesus is the one who is offering it. You can only receive. And we receive communion with a, with a humble posture. If you're comfortable in doing this, I would encourage you right where you are to take your hands and just put them like this. Just as a reminder that this is our posture with which we come to the communion table. We come in need. We come with empty hands. This is the posture of need. This is the posture of, of receiving. And we come to the communion table very much like we came to Jesus for salvation, empty-handed, entirely in need of his love. And so communion is this wonderful reminder of of our need for Jesus' love. And the love of Jesus does not come in a cup. The love of Jesus does not come in a cracker or a crouton. Friends, the love of Jesus comes in a cross. The cross-shaped love of Jesus, the cruciform love of God. Jesus gave himself for you and for me on the cross, his body broken, his blood shed, as an expression of God's unconditional, self-sacrificial love for you. I'm gonna read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This begins at verse 23. Paul writes, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself, on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so as we eat, we say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your cross-shaped love. Let's eat together. And we continue to read in the same way he took the cup of wine after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. So let's take the cup and we're gonna drink together saying, thank you, Lord Jesus, for shedding your blood for me on the cross. Thank you for your great love. Let's drink together. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing, announcing, proclaiming the cross-shaped love of Jesus, the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray.
Our Father, we thank you for your great love. You first loved us. And so in light of that, and to some extent, we love you in return. And you expressed your love perfectly, unmistakably at the cross. Your cross-shaped love, enemy love. While we were sinners, Jesus died for us. Sometimes we pray without thinking. And we say things like, God, give us more love. And we certainly don't mean to sound ungrateful, but sometimes we forget. We sometimes don't remember that you have already poured your love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, that Jesus lives in us. Jesus, the very embodiment of agape love. And so rather than asking for more love, may this be our request today. May your love, with which you've already filled us, you've poured it into us, well, may it freely flow through us this week to all others, to all others. And with our eyes closed, let's just pause right now and I, I want to invite you, if you're willing, to think of somebody in your life that you're having a difficult time loving. Think of them. Holy Spirit, would you help us with this right now? Would you help us to see that person, to see that face clearly right now in this moment? And as you see that person, and as I do as well, would you, uh, with me, make a commitment that this week we want to see the love of God flow through us to that hard-to-love person, to all others. Not just to those who are hard to love, but Jesus, even to our enemies, you tell us. And so may our love be shaped, Jesus, by your cross. In your name we pray, amen. See you next time.